Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. This whole thing with him going missing and everything, it was... I became so passionate about it because I had an older brother um, who had actually gotten into a car crash. Then when I got pregnant with my son, this was my first baby. I knew my son wasn't going to be able to have that connection because he's already missing out on his grandmother and his uncle, his oldest uncle. And now he's going to miss out on this too. I just love my family and everything's about family. I'm glad that my son has that relationship with my dad, but it's it's really hard on me to know that he won't have those connections with those three other people that should be like super tight with him. When I got listening to your guys' podcast and knowing like this could actually help if it just, it lit a fire in me and I just wanted to reach out to you guys immediately. In July 2023, the second annual march honoring missing and murdered Indigenous men and boys was held in downtown Vancouver. Two dozen people showed up, mostly family members of the victims, trying to raise awareness to their loved ones' stories. For years, many people have known that Indigenous men and boys are murdered, victims of violent crime, or go missing at rates that are disproportionate to their non-Indigenous counterparts. In this episode, we want to raise awareness to one of those cases. Tonight, we present the disappearance of Lawrence Maitland, and you are listening to True North True Crime. everyone and welcome to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. If you're a longtime listener or new to the podcast, we are so glad you're here. As always, if you want more True North True Crime, you can subscribe to TNTC Plus on Patreon or on Apple Podcasts. 
If you have a case suggestion for us, you can send it to truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. We do prioritize cases that come to us directly from family members or close contacts of the case. Or if you see a family out there that is trying to get attention for a case, please let us know. We are open to all suggestions. If you want to say hi and stay updated, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at TNTCPod. And with that, let's go ahead and get right into this week's episode. In this episode, we are talking about the 2019 disappearance of 42-year-old Lawrence Maitland. Lawrence was a resident of the community of Lacqualams, British Columbia. In July of 2019, Lawrence was last seen walking his bike down a street near his home. Days later, his family was unable to get in touch with him, and he was reported missing. After many searches, his family still has not been given any answers. However, it has become very obvious that there are people in the village of Lacqualabs who do know something and are not being forthcoming. Lawrence Maitland was last seen in the village of Lacqualabs in mid-July of 2019. He is described as a First Nations male, 5'9", and weighing about 187 pounds. He has black hair, slicked in a mohawk with a goatee. Anyone with information about his disappearance is asked to call the Prince Rupert RCMP or to submit a tip anonymously. You can go to the Crime Stoppers website or call 1-800-222-8477. There has been very little media coverage of this case, so we put it together using a handful of news articles. We also spoke to Lawrence's family, including his sister Karen, his sister-in-law Alexis, and his mother Kathy. It was actually Alexis who contacted us to cover this case. She organized her family to help us with the details of Lawrence's life. Throughout the episode, we will be using some audio from our Zoom interview with Alexis and Karen. We do need to let you know that the interview was conducted on a weekend when the house was full of people, including some kids who were playing in the background. While we always strive to have the best audio possible... Um, we do understand that many Canadians live in multi-generational households. And as we all learned in 2020, sometimes kids interrupt Zoom calls. We recognize that sitting in a quiet room for an hour is a privilege that most Canadian families simply do not have. Personally, we love kids. However, we have done our best to reduce or cut around any of that interference. I want to add here that asking families to do a one-hour sit-down interview is a pretty huge thing to ask. It is incredibly emotional and brave. Asking them to relive their pain a second time because the audio got interrupted is something that just we just simply won't do. So we have tremendous gratitude to Alexis and Karen for speaking to us and for sharing with us so candidly. So with that said, if you do have any auditory sensitivities, hopefully that won't impede you from hearing this incredibly important story of a missing brother, son, and uncle. As an additional content warning, this episode covers topics of substance misuse, homicide, and also suicide. As we briefly mentioned, we wanted to use this episode as a way to talk about an issue that has long remained out of the media spotlight. We are talking about missing and murdered Indigenous men and boys. This has been a pretty open secret in Canada that is backed up by data. 
After years of silence, we now see that missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls are finally getting some of the media attention they deserve, and we hope that this episode can help bring the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous men and boys to the forefront as well. In the past, we have covered several MMIMB cases, including 16-year-old Colton Fleury from Prince George, 14-year-old Luke Degerness from Prince George, the Jack family from Prince George, and 29-year-old Daniel Rayock from Squamish, British Columbia. I'm a bit of a data and stats kind of guy, so we want to offer some statistics that kind of back up the issue. According to a CBC article in 2020, Indigenous men were seven times more likely to die by homicide than non-Indigenous people in Canada. Statistics Canada said that in 2020 that men accounted for more than 80% of the 201 Indigenous people that were killed that year. Now that number was the highest level it had been since 2014. And when it came to homicide, the vast majority of Indigenous victims are male, three quarters of them actually between 2014 and 2021, according to Stats Canada. The issue seems to be further increased based on regions, with the North having the highest concentration of violent crimes with regards to men. In 2021, according to a Government of Canada report titled The Victimization of Men and Boys in Canada, the highest rate of victimization against men and boys was reported to the police in the territories. The rate of victimization against men and boys was higher in almost all provincial rural areas, driven by violence in the rural north. The rate of violent victimization against men and boys was 3,519 per 100,000 population in the rural north. This was three times higher than the rate in the rural south and nearly four times higher than in urban areas. Lawrence Maitland was from Lacqualams, and it's an indigenous community located 38 kilometers north of Prince Rupert, British Columbia. The village is geographically located on a peninsula. However, it is only accessible by a car ferry, boat, or water taxi, giving the feeling of living on an island. The community of Lacqualams is part of the traditional Shimshan people. From 1834 to 1986, the Hudson Bay Company named the area Fort Simpson and then later Port Simpson. Eventually, it was named Port Simpson Indian Reserve No. 1. However, in the modern day, it has returned to its traditional name of Lacqualams, which means Place of the Wild Roses. The people of Lacqualams are a part of the larger 45,000-person Shimshian First Nation, which extends from Alaska and down the coast of British Columbia. According to Lacqualams.ca, there are 4,100 members in the Lacqualams band, with about 646 of those members living in the village of Lacqualams, where this case takes place. The people of the village tend to work in fishing and other natural resource industries. There is a fish processing plant on the island that employs quite a few people during the fishing seasons. Like we stated earlier, the only way to get into the village is by a water taxi or the car ferry. The ferry is run by the nation. The spirit of Lacqualams Ferry runs about twice a day with more trips on the weekends. An interesting note that will come up later in the episode is that residents must register with their ID in advance in order to board the ferry. Payments can be made on the ferry or at the band office. According to what we have learned, Lacqualams can have a remote feel with many of its residents preferring a lifestyle that has a more traditional community feeling. Lawrence's sister Karen shared with us what life is like for some people in the community. Living living on a, on a reserve like that a lot, some... Some that are born and raised there, they are used to it. 
They, they love the smaller community life. They love knowing that they can allow their kids to go outside and play. And everybody in the community will make sure that they get home on time. Or you could go on the um, VHF and be like, has anybody seen my child out there? Yell out and send them home. And that's what people would do. They would yell out the door, get home, your mom's, your mom's calling for you. You know, that type of thing. It, it's like that close of a knit of a community. There's a lot of people that um, love that type of thing about living on living on in a reserve. And then there are those that just, I want to break free. I need off this island. And then they start acting out and, you know, doing things to try and liven up their own life, to make it something more exciting. Lawrence Douglas Maitland was born in Prince Rupert on March 19, 1977. He was the oldest of six kids with two younger brothers and three younger sisters. Later on, when the family became blended with five step-siblings, Lawrence became the eldest of 11 siblings. His mother is Kathleen Maitland and his father is Lawrence Maitland. Many of Lawrence's family live in the north in communities like Prince Rupert or Terrace. However, Lawrence grew up separate from most of his siblings. Most of them grew up in the Prince Rupert area, but from a young age, Lawrence moved to Lamps to live with his grandparents, Miriam and Douglas Green. Lawrence loved his grandparents very much and developed a very special bond with his grandfather. It seemed that Lawrence learned a more traditional upbringing with his granddad and became a student of the outdoors. He became skillful at wildcraft techniques like berry picking, seaweed harvesting, fishing, and winter preparation skills like cutting wood. In Lawrence's teens, he got into drinking and cannabis use, and unfortunately the drinking would stick with him for many years to come and present some issues. In his 20s, Lawrence did have some run-ins with law enforcement. However, there were no records of these types of issues past the age of 31. In his 30s, Lawrence spent most of his days helping his grandparents and earning a living. Here is his sister Karen, who gave us an idea of Lawrence's day-to-day life and what he did for work. Uh, everything outdoorsy. <laughs> Even like it, any type of seasonal thing, like if it was if it was uh, berry season, he would be out picking berries. If it was just before winter, he was cutting wood and chopping wood for the elders in the in Lucklelands, as well as um, our grandfather, our grandmother, um, our aunties and uncles in Port Simpson in uh, Lucklelands. Whatever the season was, whatever that season was, is what he liked to do. Is always outdoors, though. He absolutely adored being outdoors. He hated being uh, like a house cat. He was not a house cat at all. <laughs> Uh, he did work uh, seasonally at the fish plant in Lachalams. I'm not sure what the company was called, but he also worked with my uncle and my uncle um, did renovations, home renovations. I don't know if it was actually behind like a company name type thing, but I know that they helped a lot of members in the community helping with home renovations that couldn't get done, um, you know, It was a more affordable way, basically. We asked Karen about Lawrence's personality. She shared with us that she remembers nights when she was going through some issues and was struggling to sleep. Lawrence would post the Soft Kitty song on her timeline. Sometimes he would even call her and sing it to her. And for those who aren't familiar, Soft Kitty is a lullaby that was sung to Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory TV show when his character was sick. Karen also remembered how great he was with kids. She told us a story about her daughter who was throwing a tantrum, she was kicking and screaming, 
and Lawrence picked her up and started tickling her. Very quickly, her toddler started laughing and gave up her tantrum. It was in moments like this that Karen felt Lawrence would be a great father. When we had brought uh, my son Sherwin after he was born, we brought him to Prince Rupert to introduce um, introduce my grandfather and Lawrence to my to my baby. It was like the look Lawrence had holding my baby. It was like I'm gonna love this baby forever. That 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 warm, intense feeling that you see on a father for their for their first time holding their baby, right? We asked Karen if Lawrence had any serious romantic relationships in his adult life. He was in very, very few relationships in his life. Um, he was very, not particular, but um, I don't know, safe, I guess you can say. Um, one of the longest relationships that he was in before was there. she had children already and he considered them his And um, at that time, this was a long, long time, like many, many years ago, like way long ago. I think when they were in a relationship, I was we were all living in Prince Rupert back then. And I'm pretty sure I was in high school. It was so it was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he was he was that's one of the things that he always wanted was to be a father. He wanted someone that he can teach all of the stuff that our grandfather taught him. His mother, Kathy, added a written message stating that he loved to go fishing and would share anything he caught with elders in our family. Same when he went picking seaweed, he'd share with the family. In summertime, he'd pick berries which people bought from him, and he had a lot of buyers for that. He always got hired to do people's lawns as well. In his spare time, he'd always walk the forest in hopes of seeing the Sasquatch, as there was evidence of him being around the area outside the res. He was a quiet and shy person but he could be loud when he was drinking. He loved to help people and showed it every day to his grandfather, who he called Dad. When Dad got too old to do anything, that's when Lawrence practically gave up everything to look after him. So in 2018, Lawrence was living with his grandfather in Lamps. His grandmother had passed away a few years earlier. As mentioned, Lawrence took great care of his grandfather. He would take care of the property, He'd chop wood for the fire, and he would fish and pick berries and go on long hikes. He was quite well known in the community. However, he was most known for taking care of his aging grandfather in their shared home near the top of Church Street. His mom, Kathy, told us that he would have given up his life for my dad, his grandfather. He took really good care of dad. Tragically, in April of 2018, Lawrence's grandfather, friend, and mentor, Douglas Green, passed away suddenly. The cause of his death was an undiagnosed cancer that took him quickly. The loss of Douglas heavily impacted Lawrence. In the aftermath, he dealt with his grief and struggled to regain his footing. What was once his childhood home, a place of learning and love, was now a place with challenging memories. He did suffer, like occasionally he would get depressed. It hit him really hard when our grandfather passed away because our grandfather was his dad, his grandfather, his best friend, his everything, right? And yes, Lawrence did, he did drink, not severely, but he did drink and he did use, um, he did smoke marijuana regularly. Family members recognized that Lawrence was grieving, so they began to make plans with Lawrence to have him stay with other relatives so that he wasn't in his grief on his own. 
Leading up to his disappearance, there were a number of instances in which a plan was made for Lawrence's brother William to drive to Lamps to pick Lawrence up and bring him back to Terrace. Each time the plan was about to be put in motion, Lawrence would tell them to wait, each time providing a different excuse as to why he couldn't leave in that moment. Kathy stated that it seemed to her that Lawrence was having some difficulties with the idea of leaving, likely due to the memories tied to the house and Lawrence's grandfather. We asked Karen a little bit about the plan to bring Lawrence back to Terrace. I think the whole plan was because she saw how much her son was hurting over the loss of her his grandfather, and she just wanted him to come and live with her until he can um, get through that grieving process. He just didn't want to abandon the house. In 2019, while Lawrence was in Lamps, he was behind on his taxes. Kathy helped him file five years' worth of taxes. This turned out to be a good thing as Lawrence was owed quite a few GST rebate checks. Lawrence was to receive five separate payments over the course of a few months. He received the first of those five payments in the spring of 2019. By the summer of 2019, Lawrence was in close communication with his family. He was dealing with the loss of his grandfather, he had some money coming in, and he was making plans with his family to possibly leave the community for a little while. However, he seemed hesitant to do so. Family members also stated that Lawrence had turned to alcohol while dealing with his grief. Leading up to his disappearance, Kathy, his mother, had been in touch with Lawrence several times by phone. The last time Kathy made contact with her son Lawrence was on June 27, 2019. This was a phone call made to Lawrence's landline phone. The conversation again consisted of discussions about what to do with his grandfather's house in Lamps, as well as a plan for him to move to Terrace to be with his mother. As we stated earlier, this discussion was not the first of its kind as there had been a number of similar discussions between Lawrence and his mother prior to this occasion. Pinpointing the last sightings of Lawrence has been slightly difficult as we have heard three different dates, but we do know it was mid-July of 2019. Kathy believes the last sighting of Lawrence in Laquilams apparently was July 13, 2019. Witnesses, who we understand were his cousins, were unloading groceries when they saw Lawrence. He was walking down the street with his bike, quite inebriated, and in the company of a friend. The details of this story have been reported in various news articles, however, the dates change. CFTK-TV states, Maitland was last seen pushing his bicycle on Victoria Street in the village in mid-July of 2019. Tara Standard reports, Maitland was last seen in Laquilams on July 17th or 18th around 2 p.m., Maitland was wearing all-black clothing, including black work boots and black sunglasses. Last reports have him walking with a mountain bike on Victoria Street. The North Coast Review blog states, Lawrence was last seen pushing his bicycle on Victoria Street in Laquilams in mid-July 2019 and has not been seen since. The official RCMP release from 2019 states the following. Lawrence Douglas Maitland was last seen between July 17th and 18th, pushing his bicycle on Victoria Street in Laquilams at approximately 2 p.m. Since he was reported missing, police are actively working to determine Lawrence's whereabouts. So it's unclear exactly the date Lawrence was last seen. It is clear, however, that Lawrence was in the company of a friend, 
He had his bike with him and appeared to be under the influence of alcohol around 2 p.m. Kathy attempted to call Lawrence several times on his landline, but there was no answer. All other attempts to reach Lawrence on social media or by phone after July 17th went unanswered. Kathy began calling various friends and family in L'Aqua Lambs to try to locate Lawrence after July 18th. She had messaged a couple of people to go up to the house to check on Lawrence. Those who went to the house reported back to Kathy stating that the door was locked and there was no answer. Believing that the door was locked, Kathy assumed that Lawrence was still in Laquilams and he just wasn't home. Maybe he was at a friend's or maybe he was fishing or on a hike or something. Then, according to the family, shortly after the first attempt to knock on Lawrence's door, Kathy called her niece Leanne to go check at Lawrence's house, as once again, her calls to Lawrence were going unanswered. Leanne had agreed to send her husband Marcus up to the house to check. Now, upon arrival, Marcus found that the door was actually unlocked this time, and all of Lawrence's belongings were still inside. His wallet was on the bed, and his iPad was also on the bed, charging. So this time people checked Lawrence's house, they found that the door was unlocked, and all of his important belongings were inside. People stated that it was as if Lawrence had left in a hurry, or he was expecting to return. It's important to note here that Lawrence's bike was also not at home. Keep in mind that according to witnesses, he was last seen with his bike. And from what we've learned, his bike has never been found. Karen and Alexis expanded on the state of Lawrence's home for us. When we did go to Port Simpson, his bike was not there. His work boots were there. There was a cup of coffee on the counter. On the, uh, sorry, on the stand by his, by his seat. Um, all of his general belongings was in the house. So it, it seemed like, like he had jumped up and ran out the door. So Yeah, Kathy said his wallet was on the bed. Yeah. His iPad was left charging in the bedroom. It was left on the bed. Just like she said, it was like he just up and walked out. Yeah. No shoes, nothing. Like he like he had had an emergency call type thing. Like come help me type thing. That's why I when I emailed you, I said exactly that. I said it had to be somebody who coerced him to come out of the house with either an emergency situation mm-hmm. or they probably egged him on to to fight, which Kathy said that he might have followed through with something like that, but it's it doesn't really look that way. I'm imagining more of an emergency situation where he would just be up and out the door. Like somebody needed help. Yeah. Yeah. We're now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we will be looking into the searches and the investigation into the disappearance of Lawrence Maitland. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined the life and disappearance of 42-year-old Lawrence Maitland. We asked Karen and Alexis how they found out about Lawrence's disappearance and what they learned in the days after. Kathy began calling various friends and family in Port Simpson to try and locate Lawrence on June 28th, as each attempt to call Lawrence's landline went unanswered. She had messaged a couple people to go to the house to check on Lawrence, and those who went to the house had stated to Kathy that the door was locked and there was no answer, which told her that Lawrence was still alive, he just wasn't home, because he would have locked the door. So he was just out. Kathy believes it was her uncle Jackie who called the RCMP to report Lawrence missing, because on the 28th, she tried to contact him, and there was no answer. And then on July 13th, she had again called people, and one of them was her niece, to go check the house for Lawrence, um, because nobody was answering the phone there. So on the 13th, she called her niece, Leanne, and then Leanne agreed to send her husband, Marcus, up to the house to check for Lawrence. When Marcus got there, he found the door was unlocked and all of Lawrence's belongings were still inside. His wallet was on the bed and his iPad was also on the bed charging. She, a direct quote from her was, it were as though he just got up and walked out. And she believes it was her uncle, Jackie, who called the RCMP to report Lawrence missing. So, again, there is some confusion around the dates. It seems that while Kathy spoke to Lawrence on the 27th of June, she was unable to contact him after that date. Then his last sighting was either on July 13th, 17th, or 18th. When family members entered Lawrence's home, they found a cup of coffee on the counter, his boots, an iPad, charging on his bed, and other items that Lawrence used frequently. All of these items appeared to have been recently used. This indicated to the family that Lawrence was home and possibly had left his home in some kind of hurry or that he had been coaxed out of his home. Although the reasons are not clear, what is clear is that Lawrence did not pack items as if he was intentionally leaving his home for a period of time. Lawrence's uncle Jackie contacted the RCMP to report Lawrence as a missing person, and he also organized the initial civilian searches. Family members and friends traveled from Prince Rupert and Terrace to help in the searches. Searchers searched around Laquilams as well as the surrounding areas. They even traveled over to Finlayson Island, and Finlayson Island is the Laquilam Cemetery and the traditional burial ground of the Shimshian people. After an extensive search that was assisted by the RCMP, Lawrence's whereabouts remained a mystery. A report from the Terrace Standard on July 24, 2019 states, Prince Rupert RCMP are still trying to locate a Laquilams man who went missing more than a month ago. The RCMP has now solicited support from the North District to aid with the investigation of Lawrence Maitland. The disappearance is considered suspicious at this time, and it is not common behavior for Maitland. 
no one has been arrested in connection to the case. Checks began to arrive at the local post office for Lawrence from the government. These checks were never claimed and remain uncashed. Then on September 4th, 2019, the RCMP called off the search. RCMP also released the following statement about Lawrence's disappearance. Since he was reported missing, police are actively working to determine Lawrence's whereabouts. The RCMP continue to have members dedicated to this file and have solicited support from North District to aid with the investigation. They went on to say that the disappearance is considered suspicious and that no one had been arrested in connection, but they also said... While there are other active investigations in the community and arrests made in relation to those files, they are completely unrelated to Lawrence's disappearance. Police believe that Lawrence's disappearance is an isolated incident and have no information to suggest that the greater public is at further risk. They went on to say that they are asking for the public's assistance and to contact the Prince Rupert RCMP with any information. So there are a few things of note in this RCMP statement. The first is that at that point, Lawrence's disappearance was now considered suspicious in nature. This seems to be no longer a simple missing person who has perhaps vacated his life intentionally. The RCMP also state that while there are other active investigations in the community and arrests made in relation to those files, they are completely unrelated to Lawrence's disappearance. Meaning, of course, that certain people have been detained or interviewed. However, these detentions are not related to Lawrence. They also state that the police believe that Lawrence's disappearance is an isolated incident. This indicates uh, that based on the information that they have learned, Lawrence's disappearance is a contained incident and not related to other investigations or a larger threat. Lastly, they ask for anyone with any information to reach out to the RCMP or of course you can reach out to Crime Stoppers. This is always an indication that they are looking for additional leads that can help solve this suspicious situation. The public really can help in these scenarios by providing an important piece of the puzzle. While the RCMP do not comment on open investigations, we have learned some things. It's important to note that when the Prince Rupert RCMP members are dispatched to Laquilams, the house they use as a home base is right across the street from where Lawrence was living. The general duty members in the village knew Lawrence and were familiar with him and his family. He wasn't a stranger in a massive metropolis of a city. This is a tight-knit community where everyone knows everyone. The community is very small, with roughly 600 people living there, and at the time, Lawrence had a very small friend group. And if you recall, he was seen with one of his friends around the time he went missing. So we asked Karen a little bit about Lawrence's friend group. Um, from the few that I know personally, they very, uh, the one that I really, that I know well is, was like aggressive and, um, used alcohol like quite often, like more than recreationally type thing. Um, and same with, same with marijuana. It was, I don't know if he, I don't know about heavy drugs, but yeah. We asked if Lawrence ever had disagreements with his close friends. They had, they've always had like mini quarrels, like this, the small fights, like about, um, who's paying for fuel because they're going fishing. 
who's buying the next bottle, who's buying the next um, bag of weed or, you know, that type of thing, or borrowing money from each other, you know, the basic small things um, that friends would, would have quarrels about. So we do know that within the first year of Lawrence's disappearance that at least four people were interviewed in relation to his case. These people consisted of his close friend who he was last seen with, and there were two women as well, one of whom was pregnant at the time, and another man who owned a fishing boat. As the investigation went on, there were multiple properties searched and one boat. There was also an odd occurrence on Facebook. Here's what Karen and Alexis had to say about the investigation, as well as that Facebook post. Oh, I'm not 100% sure when they actually... um decided that it was suspicious i think it started at, at first we there was a lot of rumors going around while we were doing the searches and there when those rumors arose the the cops actually did pull a few people that was in the search party and uh questioned them regarding some of the rumors that had gone around there was one there was a also a post on facebook of a person that was intoxicated saying that um my brother was murdered and he knew where he where where it happened and what had happened. Um, that post quickly got deleted. I don't um, I don't I personally did not see the post, but my someone had sent it to my mom and my mom had um, told the cops about the post. And then and then they, they, they further investigated from there and kept questioning people because there was um. And they did search one home there and they did find blood in the backyard, but they couldn't match it to Lawrence's because it could have been fish. It could have been from hunting. It could have been right. So um, there was no hard evidence linking this person to my brother's disappearance. But um, because of the it, I believe it started after the rumors were going around about and that video that was posted that it was deemed foul play and some something happened to my brother. So there was a property and a boat searched and it is rumored that blood was found at the home. However, blood is not an uncommon occurrence in the area where people fish and hunt and clearly no arrests have been made so we can kind of assume that that blood was likely not human. We asked Karen and Alexis to expand on what they knew about the video that was posted online. There was a person that was intoxicated on Facebook. Yeah, he recorded himself stating that he knew that my brother was murdered and that he knew where my brother was. The Like I said, the video got um, deleted very quickly after. Um, people, some of the people that had seen it messaged my mom and told her about it. But before we, uh, any of us had a chance to actually see it, it got deleted. So a drunk person posted on Facebook midday claiming that Lawrence had been murdered and that this person knew the details of that altercation. We were unable to confirm as to whether or not law enforcement has interviewed this individual or if they were able to recover the deleted video. We also have not watched the contents of the video, nor do we know exactly what was said. We do know a few things. We know that the fishing boat guy had his boat and property searched. We know that warrants were posted for one of Lawrence's friends after he disappeared. Now, this warrant was unrelated to the disappearance. It's often a tactic used that investigators will bring someone in on an unrelated warrant to have a chat about a different crime. However, 
we have learned that this friend and one of the women are no longer in L'Aqua Lambs. So where does that leave us? Unfortunately, until an arrest is made or some new evidence is found, we will not have all the answers. The rumor mill in L'Aqua Lambs is churning, and the same four names keep being mentioned. We asked the family what they have heard. The, the rumors that are going around are based around the best friend and the gentleman's, the, gentle, the guy that had his house searched and the boat searched. Uh, every rumor goes back to them. Same with the two, the two girls. Apparently she was forced to leave the island because of things that, other things that she had done, uh, aggressive behavior, that type of thing. Every rumor that I've heard leads back to this one group. It's clear we have four people who may have more information about Lawrence's disappearance. They have been interviewed by the police. One of them has had his property searched and two have left the island. And now we are no closer to knowing what happened to Lawrence. We asked the family their thoughts on the usual theories that surround a missing persons case. First, we asked if Lawrence would willingly leave his life. Uh, no, it is definitely not a possibility. Like he, I guess he, he did make jokes like I'm going to disappear. I'm going to go and I'm going to go live in the bush type thing. You know, that was, that was a part of our conversations that we had a few times, but he wouldn't leave his possessions. He wouldn't leave. He has specific things that he carries with him all the time. He has a pack sack that he keeps his iPad in. He has specific boots that he uses when he leaves the house. When, Like if he were to leave the island, he would not have left without those boots. Um, specific jackets that he uses, bandanas, all of these things that he he finds um, special to him. He, he would not have left any of it. He wouldn't he would not have left um, like his wallet, his IDs, uh, the, all the basic necessities to actually be able to leave a place. Yeah, you need to put your name on the ferry uh, I think it's 24 hours before you can actually get on the ferry. Besides that, the only other way would be a water taxi. And he didn't have the financial means to, to use a water taxi to get off of the island. As we stated earlier, Lawrence did not have his ID with him or important belongings. He also had limited finances and was relying on those upcoming GST checks. He didn't have extra money to take a water taxi and would most likely have taken the ferry. However, to take the ferry, you need to reserve a spot with your government ID, and there is no record of him leaving the community. We asked if it was a possibility for Lawrence to have had some kind of accident in the bush, maybe while taking a hike. Even if he went out on a hike, he still would have used those boots. He still would have used his, the, he has a specific vest that he uses when he's going up in the bush because of all the thorns and getting scratched. And he has, he carries band-aids and stuff like that in his pack sack. He uses a, a big thermos for coffee and then he has something separate for water. He would not have left without, without that pack sack either. And he takes his iPad everywhere with him because he is, he's very photo, he loves to take photos scenic photos if you if you were to go on his facebook and scroll through the stuff the pictures that he posted you'll see a lot of um scenic posts so again all of lawrence's things that he would need to go into the bush were left at his home the family also does not believe that suicide or accidental overdose are possibilities lawrence was not at the time expressing suicidal thoughts and he was not known to be a hard drug user Keep in mind, Lawrence was in frequent contact with his mother, a brother, and his sisters. 
They knew he was dealing with the loss of his beloved grandfather, but he had not expressed a desire to not go on living. We asked Karen and Alexis what the family's theory is. Personally, just the way everything um, ended up, I honestly think that somebody coerced him out of the house with an emergency situation, did something to him. And because it's an island, it I watched enough crime movies and shows <laughs> to know that it's so easy. Like we're talking open ocean surrounding this little island. And it's it would be so easy for somebody to just stick his body in a boat or something and toss him in the water and come back and act like nothing ever happened. There was actually a one of the, the the gentlemen that owned the house that was searched and the blood was in the back. His boat was searched as well because there was blood in the boat. Alexis expanded on her thoughts via a written statement after our interview. And she said the following. Someone took his life either on purpose or by accident. It seems to be a consensus among Lawrence's family that someone took his life, most likely on purpose. Personally, I believe the same. The way it was described that his belongings were just left inside the house and the door was unlocked, it makes me believe that there is a great possibility that someone or someones coerced Lawrence out of the house, such as faking an emergency or egging on a fight. Alexis also added that the last time an RCMP officer spoke with Kathy was either in June or July of 2023. An officer from the terrorist detachment stated that the Prince Rupert RCMP requested that she sign a medical release form. The family assumes that this was to release Lawrence's DNA into a missing persons database. We asked Alexis and Karen about the impact that Lawrence's disappearance has had on their family. Alexis shared with us that she had lost her brother a few years back in a car accident and that the loss of yet another male figure in the family is difficult for her and her children. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) if I could speak a little bit. Um, So when my oldest brother got in a car accident and had ultimately died, um, there was only three of us. There's my oldest brother and my middle brother, and then there's me. Watching my mom, it was like a light turned off. It just disappeared. Like, this wasn't my mom anymore. So when Lawrence went missing, I saw the look on my mother-in-law's face and it was exactly the same. It was like a light turned off. And they're not thinking about, you know, their other children in that moment. They're thinking about their one child. That's their baby, you know? Like, you went through sweat and tears and everything else and pain to bring this child on earth. And now you don't even know what happened to him. Seeing her in that state, I was just, I I wanted to hug her. It's just been really hard. And at the same time, um, watching his siblings was, it was like like me and my other brother. Like you, you got so many questions and you don't know where to turn and you don't know how to feel. And like, are you supposed to be the strong one? Or should I give that to somebody else in the family? Should I break down on my knees and... That's the type of thing that siblings go through when they lose a sibling. And I've been there and I had to watch my husband do it. Like he was, he was trying to be as strong as an ax. And I saw the look on his face though. It, it affected him. Like he just shut down for a really long time. 
According to Karen and Alexis, there have been several deaths in their family over the past few years, and Lawrence's disappearance has been having a negative impact on these family members who are already coping with their grief. Here's Karen expressing her thoughts on the impact of Lawrence's disappearance. Our family has uh, changed drastically since uh, Lawrence's Lawrence's disappearance. My niece, Kathy, has lost her way. So she was on the streets for quite some time. Um, And my niece, Kathy, was really close with Lawrence, like really, really close. Um, My niece, Kathy, and Jessica were both raised by um, our grandmother. So they were really close with Lawrence. Um, There's been a lot of like substance substance um abuse a lot of relying on alcohol to 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 cover everything up i myself i struggled for a long time as well with alcohol um i'm two years sober now so i think that's was one of the things that we all used to cope we all reached for the bottle to cope that was our way out that was our temporary cure or continued cure if we just kept going right he was planning on moving to Terrace. I have text messages, like messages from him from Facebook or on Messenger, planning what we would do when he gets up here. And one of the things that I would tease him about was I was going to get him hitched. <laughs> I told him I'm going to set, set him up on dates. Family matchmaker. <laughs> she, she, she was the one who got me and her brother together. <laughs> There, we we miss him a lot. I, I really hope that this helps us. This helps us be able to give my mom some peace. Our mom needs that. Like to this day, she still finds it really hard to talk about Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Just to sit down and ask her these questions, it was it was like a struggle for her. Some things came so easily, like, and then other things when you know, trying to bring up memories and stuff like that. It was, it was like she hit a wall. The family of Lawrence Maitland has done everything right in the years since he went missing. They organized their own searches of the community as well as the surrounding areas. They cooperated with the RCMP for the investigation. However, before this episode, they had limited media attention. There are only about six articles online about Lawrence's disappearance. So we hope that the attention on this case can shift after we release this episode. We asked Karen and Alexis how our listeners can help. Share the hell out of it. Because when this first started, as you have seen, there wasn't enough coverage on it. Not enough. I was kicking and screaming like a toddler to my mother-in-law. And I said, we need to get to the news outlets. You need to reach out to them. You need to go to Global BC. Call Tara Standard. Do everything in your power that you can to get this story out so that they can get people talking about it. And as soon as more people start talking about it, you know, somebody's going to mess up somewhere. And somebody's going to slip up somewhere and they're going to say something. They're going to let it loose. I mean, if somebody actually did do something to Lawrence and they have to carry that around, I'm hoping that they can hear this and hear where this family is coming from. Like, especially I get emotional over it because of the whole thing with my son. Like, this is an uncle that he will never get to see or know. 
the only knowledge that my son will have of this uncle is stories that his family will share with him. And that makes me sad because he already has to do that with his grandma and his uncle on my side. Like, I just want this family to know what happened to their brother, their son. I want them to know and be able to bring him somewhere and say their goodbyes to him. Our family needs closure. Our family, like we've had with all of this loss that we've had in our family, we need something to help us close the door and let my brother rest properly. We need to be able to lay him down to rest beside our grandfather. And our grandfather, he called dad. He needs to be set to rest the proper way. So as Alexis says, we hope you share the hell out of this episode and help raise awareness for Lawrence and all of the other missing and murdered Indigenous men and boys in Canada and across North America. We reached out to the RCMP about this case, and Constable Brody Hemrich, the media relations officer for the Prince Rupert Coastal Detachment, expressed positive regards towards the production of this episode. He provided the following statement for the podcast. On behalf of the Prince Rupert RCMP, I can tell you the following. The investigation is open and ongoing. Although our investigational avenues are limited, we are still actively reviewing the file on a periodical basis. We urge any members of the public to come forward with information that can help the investigation progress. They can reach out to the Prince Rupert RCMP detachment, or if they wish to remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers. We would like to thank Constable Hemrich for those words and for responding to our email. We know it means a lot to the family. In the village of Lacqualams, someone is holding a secret. Someone knows something. They know what happened to Lawrence or they know where he is. Perhaps they're scared to speak out. But now is the time. Lawrence's family needs your help and they need your information. No one wants to live in a community where people harm one another and no family should be left without answers. They deserve to bury their sibling, their loved one. We know that many people in the beautiful community of Lacqualams will listen to this episode, and we know that you want to live in a safe place. Help give this family some peace. You can call Crime Stoppers right now or submit a tip online. Crime Stoppers does not want your name, but they do want your information. You can call them right now at 1-800-222-8477. That's 1-800-222-TIPS. Lawrence's RCMP file is 2019-5434. We will link the online Crime Stoppers link in our show notes and on social media. You can also join the Facebook group Find Lawrence Maitland. We will link that in our show notes and share it on our social media. Lawrence Douglas Maitland was last seen between July 13th and the 18th, pushing his bicycle on Victoria Street in Lacqualams at approximately 2 p.m., He was walking with his close friend who has since left the community. Lawrence is a First Nations man, 42 years old, standing 5 foot 9 inches tall and weighing about 187 pounds. He has black hair slicked back in a mohawk with a black goatee. Anyone with information is asked to call the Prince Rupert RCMP at 250-627-0700 or as stated, report a tip to Crime Stoppers using the file number 2019-5434. We started off this episode by speaking about missing and murdered Indigenous men and boys. It seems that this issue has now come to the radar of the federal government. 
In May of 2023, the federal government announced $95.8 million in new funding over five years for the families of missing and murdered Indigenous people. At the time, Justice Minister David Lametti said a portion of the money will offer services to the families of male victims. Crown Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller stated, These expanded services now include men and boys, recognizing that men and boys can be the victims of violence and of the systematic racism that leads to the kind of violence that happens. We would like to thank Lawrence's mother, Kathy, his sister, Karen, and his sister-in-law, Alexis, and all of the other family members who trusted us to create this episode. We are incredibly grateful for your trust, and we hope that some answers come soon for your family. And as always, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and supporting these cases. Without you, we wouldn't have this platform, and for that, we are very grateful. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.